The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome back to the Utah Symphony, Utah Opera Ghostlight podcast, a behind the curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm Jeff Counts. And I'm Carol Anderson. Utah Symphony got its start from a WPA project and presented its first official concert in Salt Lake City on May 8th, 1940. Recent events meant Utah Symphony musicians and staff had to come up with a new way to mark this amazing milestone. Today, we invited concertmaster Madeline Atkins and principal trumpet Travis Peterson to give us the insider view on how this celebration came together. Welcome, Madeline and Travis. Thank you. Thank you. Madeline, let's start with you. Uh, we're all very anxious to dig into this behind the scenes story. So tell us how the idea for the birthday program came about. Who was involved? And tell us about the process of putting it all together conceptually. Sure. Four of us musicians joined this task force with some senior staff to come up with content that we could provide for all our listeners during this time. So one of the ideas pitched by John Miles, our vice president of marketing, was to have an 80th anniversary celebration. So um, the musicians have been talking about how some orchestras like the Organ Symphony and the Met had done a gala, an online gala. And so these ideas kind of came into synergy and we decided to pursue this 80th anniversary uh, program. So I got really excited about it personally, and I started dashing off pages and pages of ideas about how we could tie in the year 1940 by having Tad, um, our amazing principal clarinet, uh, do one of his awesome multi-screen video projects and how we could, you know, we could have a theme and we could have a hairstyle contest. And I really got into it. I was like, it went to town. So some of my ideas made the cut, but um, <laughs> we decided <laughs> we decided to, uh, pursue sort of this 30 to 45 minute program. And of course, who could host it but Jeff Counts. So that was also an amazing idea. So we started by trying to decide what the musical components of it would be. And then also the interview components, you know, we wanted to have a guest artist, we wanted to have appearances by local celebrities and international celebrities. And so the musicians then took on some of the musical aspects of preparing the show. One of the biggest ones, was the preparation of the two Beethoven 7 segments, which Beethoven 7 was played on the first concert of the Utah Symphony. So I had this bright idea to have people play out in the beautiful spots of Utah because we'd had so many of these of the play at homes and we were trying to figure out how to safely film people out of their homes. So that, that sort of took on a life of its own, if I may say so. <laughs> trying to find who was willing to do it, where we should go, how it would be done, how it would be put together. It consumed my life for about two weeks. So I was really pleased when I saw the results. It was a daunting process, I'll tell you that much. I wanted to say, Madeline, that I think the worst of all your ideas that saw the light of day was me hosting this <laughs> program. But I, but in all honesty, it was a real honor, and I'm glad that the symphony asked me to do it. It was, it was a, really a lot of fun. Robert and I spent a lot of time together that week. That's for sure. Oh, well, Travis, you have also had a lot of recent experience managing music from home. Madeline just mentioned how you know that trope that we've seen, that visual trope of all the screens and the musicians performing at home is wearing a bit thin right now. And so besides the drone footage and the outdoor things, what other things did you try to bring into the celebration 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great question. It's tough because we're so limited to what we can do right now as an organization and as musicians. So we're sort of confined to our homes. And like Madeline was alluding to, she wanted to, for the Beethoven 7, to get outside and, you know, get this drone footage, which turned out spectacularly. And it was really beautifully shot. Who had the drone? Where'd the uh, drone come from? Colby Bryson and Alec Lyons. Um, that's right. They had done some other projects for the symphony before, but they had a drone and it was an amazing experience to watch them use it. <laughs> They're very skilled. So it was just, it was really amazing to kind of utilize their skills with the drone and get that amazing footage. There's not a lot of that happening in the orchestral world. You know, you don't see drone footage with any of these at home videos, quote unquote. So that was amazing. And then, you know, with the brass fanfare that we ended up doing with the quintet, Initially, we wanted to get into the lobby of a Bravenel Hall, but with restrictions with the county and the public health department, it was proving impossible to get access to that building, sadly. So we had to sort of find a plan B. And we have, you know, some of us has, have connections with a couple of various churches in town. Carol, yours is with um, First Presbyterian on South Temple. And I have a connection with the Cathedral of the Madeline right across the street from First Presbyterian. So I was talking to the videographer, Andrea Peterson, for the fanfare shoot specifically, and she thought that the Cathedral of the Madeline would be spectacular. It's a really beautiful old sort of Gothic church. Um, so we ended up getting access to that, and we were able to socially distance perform and get a bunch of different shots in there, and I think it turned out really beautifully. And it was much different than what everybody's been seeing with like Beethoven Five even Copeland, Fanfare for the Common Man, that we put out. And I think it turned out really nicely. Um, it's creative and it was festive, really perfect and appropriate for this 80th birthday celebration. So I'm very happy with it. I think we all agree that we live in one of the most beautiful states in the country. And it was so great to see our treasures highlighted. Especially with like the drone footage, you know, we saw the, we saw the, the salt flats, you see the Capitol, you see, um, the, the shot of the two horn players up above the avenues, you can see the entire Salt Lake Valley. Um, I think it's, it's really neat for our viewers and our audience to be able to see us connected in a way through Beethoven 7 specifically to the state. Um, and I think that that was illustrated really well in the Beethoven 7 video specifically. So bravo to Madeline for that idea. I mean, it wouldn't have happened, honestly, if, if Madeline had had that idea. So. You know, I'm talking to a lot of colleagues around the country and they're all doing things like this and trying to do them really well. And the one thing that they all mention to a company is that you have to include a sense of place, that it's really important. And you guys did that with, this, with the drone footage and with the, the, the shots in the cathedral. Uh, very important that you thought about that because I think that, you know, this thing is going to have a life beyond Utah, but you got to take care of Utah first. That's really, really critical. You mentioned the drones, Travis, and you mentioned the, the, the county not letting you into a Bravano Hall. I mean, there must have been other challenges too. What, what else happened that you didn't expect and how did you solve these things? I'll throw this one out to both of you. It was very tough. It was a lot of meetings and go-betweens. Uh, you know, Madeline and I were texting. We were texting all four musicians. We had email threads with artistic administration, it was very complex and very detailed. But I think the biggest thing was finding the appropriate people with the 
right skill set to create the best possible product for what we needed for this 80th celebration. I know that the staff with the Utah Symphony is very busy with all kinds of different stuff in different sort of disciplines that they're working on. And the 80th birthday celebration was just one aspect of it. So I think that um, utilizing Colby and, and Alec and also Andrea Peterson to like help put this stuff together actually was a blessing, you know, so that the staff could continue doing other stuff too and focus on the, the whole organization rather than just this project. So, but I, I'm very appreciative that those people were brought on board to help us create this amazing uh, show that premiered. That's an important thing, Travis, because I need to remind everybody in the listening audience that symphony orchestras are not production companies. This is not the kind of thing we do naturally or often or ever really in right. some cases. How about you, Madeline? Any great stories from your side? You know, when we decided to go out to the salt flats, I thought I wouldn't get a lot of the of a uh, response to that because it's so very far from here. I mean, it's about a two hour drive from the city to the raceway where most people do those kind of shots. But then I got an incredible response of three violas and one bassoon, which I thought <laughs> would make quite a spectacular ensemble. So I, I, the poor violas, I told them, I said, maybe we need one viola and then I'm gonna reach out to some other instrument. You know, and so we ended up with a nice diverse group of violin, viola, and then flute, oboe, uh, bassoon, and trumpet. We wanted to have all instruments that could stand up so that we didn't have to, you know, drag chairs out there and all that stuff. But unfortunately, two of us forgot our music. When we got there after a two hour drive, I had forgotten my music. I, you know, I had been organizing until it was blue in the face, and then I couldn't even remember my own music. Embarrassing. And then poor Brant um, didn't realize that. He needed all his pages. So he, so we both were downloaded the music onto our phones and we're, I mean, obviously we know Beethoven 7, but the biggest challenge is doing the right bowings and things to line up with your at-home players. And so we, uh, we were reading off our tiny phones, trying to, to do, do all the, all the right moves at the right time. So it was a comedy of errors to be sure. One of my favorite parts of watching the celebration was watching all of those people from all over the world greeting the Utah Symphony and offering happy birthday wishes. How did that come about? I can tell you, Carol, this is one question I actually know the answer to. Uh, <laughs> one of the original formations of the show was that I would do several five-minute long interviews, like several of them. It was originally meant to be quite a bit longer, and it was operations director Cassandra Dozette, who actually came up with the idea to do the happy birthday quick hits from people around the world. So she gets credit for that, I think, very good idea because it was a nice uh, part of the show. I think it was actually a really neat thing too to sort of include the musicians also saying happy birthday in addition to the celebrities, which was fantastic. So that idea, that might have come from Renee. She sort of emailed me asking if the quintet that played the fanfare, if we would hold a giant cake afterwards and like say happy birthday Utah Symphony and that sort of just morphed into me administering slices of cake to people that stopped by my apartment <laughs> and then um, I told them just to submit a video to my Google Drive and then I gave that to the video editor to Andrea and uh, she sort of put that in the the final credits but I think it was great and I don't know if if, if the viewers have watched all the way through the credits, but at the very end, there's two fantastic ones. You get one from Tad, and he loves model trains. 
and the train is like going by with the cupcake with the with the candle in it. It's it's really cute. And then there's a little bit more credits and at the very end, Steve Prozer, our fourth horn player, really wanted to do the video with a face mask on. Very appropriate. So he does it and then obviously he tries to blow out the candle and he can't. So um, I thought it was it was a good like sort of personality of, of some of the musicians. I love using that idea of post-credit scenes. I feel bad that I missed those. I'm gonna have to go back. I think the, the the message here really, as we talk about where these ideas came from, is that they came from everywhere. There was really a hive mind at work. And, you know, operations director Cassandra Dosette and PR director Renee Huang were working in different directions, but converged on these great ideas together. And I'm sure there were many other people that we don't even have time to mention today. So I think it's fascinating to look behind the scenes and realize just how much goes into this. I do want to talk about one of the performance moments in the show with you, Madeline, because you actually got to film in a Bravenel Hall. That's how quickly things changed. The brass guys got told no, but you were able to get in there. And this place has been closed for months. It's home. I mean, what was it like to be back there? Was it emotional? It was a little bit eerie at first, to be honest. First of all, it was amazing to play music with another person who's in the room with you, which is something that obviously none of us have been able to do for over two months. And um, we, I decided to stand over the piano, kind of the, the bend of the piano, like a soprano or something, so till we could remain distant. And so then that creates its own complications of, of ensemble. In addition, we got to the hall and the chandeliers were down. They come down on these giant cables and they're like in the audience. So we had planned to do a really wide shot up to see the whole empty hall, all the empty seats, and to really drive that home in the video but we were we weren't able to we were only able to get as wide of a shot as the stage we were in there for about two hours um with just a you know skeleton crew of people to help us and it's hard to even imagine the day that we're going to be back on stage um even with a small audience let alone a, a full audience the thought of hearing that 2900 people cheering and and enjoying the music is really going to be kind of an unbelievable experience when it finally happens and i loved that so many people in the comments expressed their longing to be in that space again, listening. It was really moving. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's the theme that we've all realized is we knew we loved live music and, and people knew they needed that in their lives. But I think this has really driven it home and, and that sense of sharing something with people in person is so important to all of us. I'd like to thank both of you for letting us scratch the surface today on what it takes to do something like this. I heard once that for a project of this scope, it's an hour of work per minute of recorded material per person. So we're talking about a ton of time and effort that went into this. So thank you both so much for doing that. Thank you personally for letting me be a part of it. And thank you for Carol and I for being uh, on the Ghostlight podcast today. It was a really interesting conversation. Follow and like us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher or wherever you obtain your podcasts. Until our next episode, I'm Carol Anderson. And I'm Jeff Counts. Thanks for listening. The Ghostlight Podcast is produced and edited by Robert Bedont. Be sure to visit utahsymphony.org and utahopera.org for more information on upcoming performances. If you're not already a seasoned subscriber, click on the tickets button to learn more about the benefits of being a part of our family of music lovers. The Utah Symphony and Utah Opera season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation.